It has been smuggled into countries and it is found in prison cells. People have been killed for having it. It has changed people's lives in profound ways and bored people to tears. People fight about what it means and have used it to justify horrific acts. It is life-changing and said to be more precious than gold. It is 66 books written over 1,600 years and contains strange, awful, amazing, and beautiful things. It is the Bible. I will wager that the Bible, or having one in your house, has never been a life or death matter. Perhaps you grew up in a church like I did, knowing that the Bible was somehow the center of worship, and that's what you studied in Sunday school. And Sunday school was a bit sanitized when it came to the story reading. We learned about Noah and the animals, but all the terrible flooding and what happened to the other animals and people were sort of left out. Baby Jesus was meek and mild and did not cry. He wasn't one giving to rants about the hypocrites or throwing over tables in the temples. In Sunday school, we sang little ditties like the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I could not have explained to you what standing on the word of God meant. Of course, you weren't allowed to stand on a Bible. But we learned that it was really important. It was really important. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul urges Timothy to hold fast what he was taught in the sacred writings. His mother and grandmother had taught them to him since he was a child. Paul describes his own situation of persecution, of trials for carrying the message of Jesus Christ, and the competing cultural messages that led people away from God. In this excerpt from 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 through 17, we hear some famous scripture from Paul to Timothy. But wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Paul and Timothy understand scripture to be an anchor in a storm of persecution and competing opinions about how to live, who to follow, and who Jesus is. As an anchor, the Bible can teach us how to live with compassion and respect. 
The Ten Commandments teach us about life in community. Jesus told us to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to pray for our enemies and to forgive. And all these are gracious gifts that safeguard and build up individuals and community life. Many people treat the Bible as a rule book to tell us what is good and bad and what makes us good people. But if the Bible is only that, it can become oppressive. Many non-believers have never read the Bible, and there are an increasing number in our culture now who know nothing of it, believers and non-believers alike. If you go to the little Bible test misquotes, you read some hilarious things. Yes, um, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and on fire at night. <laughs> For non-believers, they have often just heard the Bible used as justification to condemn and exclude other people. For some non-believers, the Bible is not very trustworthy because the Christians they know don't act any differently from their other friends. Indeed, Christians in television and in film are largely portrayed as hypocrites and judgmental. I can only think of one television show that portrays Christians in a positive light. It's a British program called Call the Midwife. And there they are flawed and gracious and loving and authentic. They're lovely people. Paul believes the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, are living witness, a gift pointing us to the good and gracious God known best in Jesus Christ. It is not the it's not that the Bible is always uplifting and inspiring, is it? The Bible is full of messy lives, dysfunctional families, terrible and heroic deeds, kings who grasp after power and sex, and followers who, for the life of them, cannot figure out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. As one commentator said, they're always portrayed as the Duh, disciples. <laughs> Part of the gift of the scriptures is that we get to see ourselves. We are those who resist God. We are those who cry for help, have doubts, get angry with God, and struggle to understand and follow Jesus. When it comes to God's commandment, we'd rather pick and choose among them. I don't know about you, but I've only found a couple that work for me. <laughs> Presbyterians understand that God gave us these human documents forged by the time in which they live, that God gave us the law, the letters, love poetry, 
and theological history. Not as something that is set in stone, even though some are pretty straightforward. Do not lie is pretty clear. Care for the poor and welcome the stranger and protect the stranger, pretty straightforward. But since the time it was told, Jonah being in the belly of a big fish was known to be symbolic. It was meant to be a parable about our reluctance to give grace, to give forgiveness to our enemies. If the words of scripture get inside us, they start to change us. They start to work on us, you know? So that at odd times, a word may bubble up and you go, oh, yeah. The Bible is like music. Music becomes powerful for us when we learn the whole song. Like wailing blues, praise songs, or symphonies, the Bible becomes alive. When we work with it with others, we learn the rhythms, the syncopations, the intricacy of harmony and disharmony. As the band can attest, you just don't go straight into a song without practice. You have to learn how other people understand the song, how to play it. The Bible can become the soundtrack of our lives, rich and full and challenging and comforting and singing to us of the wondrous glory of God. I know it's going to be a good day if I wake up and remember a song from this service or a hymn and it stays in my mind during the day. We don't worship the Bible We don't believe in the Bible. We worship God and we believe in Jesus Christ as the fullest revelation of God. What we think about the Bible, what I mean by we as Presbyterians, is that when we get together, the Holy Spirit's going to be with us. And the Holy Spirit's going to work in us. And every once in a while, that word of God is going to become alive for us. It's going to change us. It's going to speak to us as if the words were meant just for us. Have you ever had that happen? So when we start to learn and study the Bible, God becomes real and present. Last year, one of the kids in the confirmation class told me that, oh, oh, first, everybody in confirmation class has to read the Gospel of Mark. And so one of the young men told me that he did not know that Jesus got tired, that Jesus had to go away to get from the crowd, that Jesus got hungry and fell asleep because He was just worn out. Jesus became just a little realer for him because he'd read the Gospel of Mark. John Newton, who's 
the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, lived his life for many, many years as a slave trader. And during a storm at sea, he called out to God for help and he read the Bible. And thus began his conversion so that a decade later he became an abolitionist. His heart was changed. He became one of the people on the forefront of freeing slaves in England. My daddy, when we were little, read to us kids a Negro sermon about the creation story. And as I listened, a tear started to course down his face. And I was puzzled and curious and wanted to know what made him cry about this word. It intrigued me. It made me want to know more. Now, I had my problems with the church. I've been disillusioned and I've been angry. But in college, in a class with 300 people in it, I was sitting in the very far back with my little seat and my writing notes. And the professor, it was introduction to Old Testament, just started to read Genesis 1, that hymn of praise. And when he got to the part that we were created in the image of God, male and female. It was like electricity was coursing through my veins. It became alive for me in a way it never had before. Every now and again that happens, even now, usually much smaller ways. I hope it has happened for you. And if it hasn't, I hope that you will be open to it, that you'll join the rest of our fellow strugglers and be open to the word of God as it becomes God with us. Thanks be to God.